Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rokraut. And today we have a very special episode. Nick, you went to the Cannes Film Festival. You are back in the States, fortunately for me, maybe unfortunately for you. But I can't wait to hear all about your experience. How was it? I still don't know if I'm alive, um, but we're here... (laughs) I had an amazing time when you said last episode, it's the greatest place on earth. It truly is. (laughs) I'm so happy that you loved it just as much as I did, because it really is. It's something that, I mean, you can tell people, oh, this is the most beautiful place on earth or the most glamorous Mm -hmm. film festival. But until you are standing there and just taking it all in on no sleep, no food, You're in this really strange state the entire time, so I'm so glad that you understand what I mean now. (laughs) It's the Lady Gaga meme of, like, no sleep, no sleep, bus, plane, another plane, club, club, no sleep. And it's like, that is how you take in all of these movies. And it's just weird. Like, your body functions because it has to, and Mm -hmm. you go from there. Like, I saw a ton of movies, way more than I expected to, which is amazing, but also, like, five six movies a day I am bound to take a nap at some point and it's like I hope it's in the best case scenario aka the worst movie of the day and that wasn't always the case but it happened (laughs) yeah I was worried about you just because of your your sleep schedule your caffeine intake everything like that I just well and and you were there longer than I was too how many days were you and that's part of it yeah I had six days of movies, and the first and last were only one movie. Okay. They were like half days. I think it's good to do that sometimes. When you go to film festivals, you don't need, I think maybe this is just my my opinion, but you don't need to see six movies every single day. There are some days where that makes perfect sense, and there are other days where you can just do one or two, and then do something else with your day. I mean, you're you're in the south of France. Yeah, I on my train back to Nice, there were like a lot of people and it was early. There were a lot of people at the beach and I was like, I really wish I would have done this. But like going forward, I hope I go back and like we'll absolutely do it a little differently. I front loaded the movies because I I mean, that's why you go and yeah. you kind of learn the experience and that's also part of it like mm-hmm. The ticketing center online and waiting in lines and how many theaters there are. And if you can wait in line for last minute tickets at those theaters or not. And like which parallel sections. And there are so many factors that like once you go, you understand it. And like even if you read 30 different blogs on somebody's experience, Mm -hmm. you won't actually know until you go. Yeah, it it really is that way. And all film festivals are so different with the way that they do things when it comes to ticketing, Mm -hmm. when it comes to venue locations and what the screenings themselves are like and what the crowds are like at the screenings. So I have to ask you, because I have brought this up, as you know, since I attended two years ago, my obsession with the intro music to every movie... (laughs) Which we will play in the episode so everyone can experience it. But basically they play this song before every single film. And this little mm-hmm. intro, you know, going up the staircase and then you see the Cannes Film Festival logo. And people, when they see the logo, start cheering. 
<laughs> and it is just with every movie, no matter what movie you're seeing. So now that you've heard the music and you've seen this intro, what did you think of it? Is it the new Nicole Kidman AMC ad for you? It is the original Nicole Kidman ad. No <laughs> words. It's just great music. You're ascending the stairs into space and can and different movies had different reactions. Mm-hmm. Some were like uproarious, like in the Lumiere. Everyone just went wild. But then like other times I would clap because nobody else was. And I was like, wait, I'm confused. <laughs> but I love it. It's, I don't know, adds this air of excitement and like you don't know what you're getting into. But it also adds to like a collective experience. Mm-hmm. It's weird and something that they didn't have to do. But it like totally works. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. I think because... You know, when you're just running on adrenaline and you're just so overwhelmed at being there and when mm-hmm. when it finally hits you, like, I'm at the Cannes Film Festival and you hear that music, it's just associated mm-hmm. with magic for me. It's, it's really, really beautiful. But I also wonder, I guess, for you, because you've been to Venice. Also, mm-hmm. you went to Venice last year. You've gone to New York Film Festival a few times. You've done Sundance. How does this festival compare to the others? So each festival has its own vibe and can by far is the most glamorous one because you're in real movie theaters and that is not the case for all these festivals. New York, yes, because you're in Lincoln Center and there are only a few theaters, but like Venice, the main public theater, the Pala is erected for the festival and Mm. there are like those connected seats of like hundreds and thousands in the theater and they are the most uncomfortable thing you will ever sit on and you can't nap didn't help that you had blonde and the sun exactly yeah exactly and bennett would have to like nudge me to like wake me up (laughs) can they're all plush seats they're velvety they're so comfortable and they're varying sizes to these theaters like the most of my time i spent at their cineum which is like a cineplex with a few theaters and they actually had one theater like separate for the public but like being able to see most of these movies on an IMAX sized theater was insane was not something that I expected at all I mean it emphasized again seeing movie after movie of like European cinema and a lot of international films and it was like these films need to be seen on a movie theater and some of these may just go to streaming and nobody will know any different But, like, there is such an impact to seeing them and the sound and then, again, just being with an audience that is so unique and special to something like a festival that you will get when it's released publicly. But, again, some of these also may not be released in theaters. Mm -hmm. That's the difficult part of it is that, you know, as news comes out of the festival and you see which distributors acquire certain films... Mm-hmm. You wonder then what the experience will be like for general moviegoers. Like, will my mom in Ohio be able to see May, December in theaters? Uh, like, she'll probably have to work a little bit harder to do that than yeah. we will in New York, right? Or something like that because Netflix acquired it. We'll get there. We'll talk about that one. I'm excited yeah. to hear your thoughts on that. But any other fun observations about the crowds or... Did you go to the Cannes McDonald's? <laughs> I want to know all of those things. I was mad the McDonald's didn't have the like McBaguette, which I think 
from Emily France in Paris. Has an, is that what that's from? See, I yes. don't watch that show, but I saw some TikTok. They didn't have it, and I was really bummed. They had these like bacon cheeseburgers, and I'm like, I did not come here to have a McDonald's mm-hmm. bacon cheeseburger. No, you went for the McBaguette. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my lunches were these like movie theater sandwiches, which mm-hmm. again were great. You know, it's like a baguette and meat and cheese and one piece of lettuce and that sustains you for the next (laughs) five six hours so (laughs) you do what you got to do you eat what's there all the coke zero in the world in terms of crowds it's really cool and also unique that you see these people who are all ages dressed in tuxes all day and suits and they're looking for tickets for that night's premiere because they want to go and Mm -hmm. I didn't bring a suit. I was like, again, beforehand, I figured out the ticketing and what movies I wanted to see and the schedule came out. So I was, God, this Excel sheet is just insane. But instead of waiting in line for one or two movies at the main theater, I could see three to six movies at the Cineum. And those were still in competition films, like big movies. I was like, of course I'm going to do that. I do not care to be in there every single time and like to see a face like also great and like changes your experience and heightens the film and whatnot but it's like okay Mm -hmm. so still very cool like seeing everybody dressed up I mean all hours of the day too and it's not just at night like one of my days I, I didn't have an afternoon moving I was just walking along the beach and these beautiful women are dressed in these elegant gowns Mm -hmm. just walking and I'm like what (laughs) <laughs> where where, where am, am I? I who are you <laughs> like are you royalty like what is this here <laughs> so that adds to the atmosphere versus other festivals that are more laid back and low-key yeah and that's not bad either but it's just really cool to look around and again you're Zara I went in you know it's cool because they have tuxes and dresses in the window that you could wear to a premiere yeah and the idea is there, like do I go buy it? Can I like return it? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. that's an option. And I don't think we have that here, but like just very cool. The Zara there is great. It's a big one and it's located very close to everything else. I remember that. Mm -hmm. I remember going there. Of course, that was, we talked about that on the can recap we did after I went, but (laughs) I loved that Zara. It was so much more well-organized than, Mm -hmm any of the Zara's in New York that I feel like are so picked over. That one was just was sparkling and you could find whatever yeah. you needed if you needed another outfit. Cause it was, I remember it was really hot when I was there, but that was because it was in July. So usually can is in May, but the year I went, it was in July oh, okay. because of the pandemic. So you guys had a lot of rain though, didn't you? We had rain for two days, which was not great, but that was one of the times I waited in line outside to see how to have sex the like premiere of it this title is so funny i'm sorry it's like anytime someone brings it up it takes me aback i'm like you did what now (laughs) (laughs) and i waited in the rain and i got in and i was like wait maybe i want it to rain most of the time so people like don't come and wait in Mm -hmm. line yeah but also doing that like there was a whole section in the theater for last minute Mm -hmm. seats and i was Mm -hmm. like wait So you don't have to wait out here for like four hours to do this. It was like a game changer. 
Yeah. Did you sit on those those last minute seats though that are like the folding seats in the Lumiere? God no. They had those in the Miramar Theater too. Mm-hmm. And I sat on that side and when I realized what it was, I was like, "Oh god, they like pack people in here." But I didn't yeah. see anybody using them. I had to use one for when I saw Benedetta because it was okay. a gala like a world premiere. Mhm. With the cast and and Paul Verhoeven there, and I was like, I'll sit on the floor. I don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, there. When I, I remember walking up to my seat and seeing that that's what it was, and I'm wearing like a long dress and like heels. Oh, I'm God. like, okay, this is, it's fine. <laughs> it's what we do here, I guess. But uh. yeah, so in addition to you spent a lot of your time at the Cineam, the IMAX theater. There's the Lumiere, which is where all the premieres are. There mm-hmm. are a number of other theaters where they have different sections of the festival, like Uncertain Regard or Director's Fortnight, Critics Week, things like that. But you also did Cinema de la Plage oh. on the beach. I want to hear you, about that. Did you do that? I did, yeah. I saw In the Mood for Love. That was the movie oh of my, my year. Oh my god. Which was the first movie Incredible. I saw at the festival, technically. Not my first new one, but that was mm-hmm. the night I got there. Well, that was the other thing when you were saying, like, with the intro and you see the emblem and can and you're like, wow, you're here. Like, that was mm-hmm. another moment I had where you're, like, watching a movie on the beach, my feet mm-hmm. in the sand, and it started to rain once everybody was seated and it was, like, minutes from the movie starting. And at that point, it was too late. It was like, we're committed. We are here. Uh-huh. I didn't bring my umbrella because my app didn't say rain until much later. So, like, of course it rained, but they gave out blankets. They do for every showing, and, like, that was enough to keep me dry. And it, like, was drizzly. It wasn't bad. But I saw Thelma and Louise for the first time and just, like, oh my God. absolutely loved it. <gasps> Yay. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And the president of the MPA introed the film... Ridley Scott wasn't there, so, like, some of these films, like, the directors are there, or actors, or family of whomever is involved, Mm -hmm. either French classics or American ones like this. So I was very happy I went. I thought about going other nights, but I also had, like, later screenings, too, that I couldn't fit in with those, and again, it was, like... I cannot watch a movie at 9 a.m. and 10.30 p.m. every single day. I'm going to go insane. Yeah, it's just too much. And it's okay mm-hmm. to admit that it's it's too much. And when you're already overwhelmed by being mm-hmm. <laughs> there of all places. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about some of the films from the festival. So they recently announced the winners of all of the awards for the in-competition films. The big one, The Palm Door, went to Anatomy of a Fall from Justine Trier. The Grand Prix went to The Zone of Interest by Jonathan Glazer. The Jury Prize went to Fallen Leaves by Kurismaki. And Best Director went to Tran Hung for The Potifo. And then we had Actress going to Merv Dizdar for About Dry Glasses, which is a Salen film. Actor went to Koji Akusho for Perfect Days, which is by Vim Vendors. And screenplay went to Sakamoto Yuji for Monster, which is by Corita. Some of the other big awards that are out of competition or like we've mentioned before on the pod, I just wanted to mention a few. One being the Uncertain Regard winner, which went to How to Have Sex by Molly Manning Walker. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And then The Camera Door, 
which is for cinematography. I think you've mentioned it before, maybe when you went, actually. But that winner was Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell by Tinan Pham. And this was a part of the director's fortnight. This came out after I went, so I wasn't able to see this one. And the Palm Dog, just because we love, went to Snoop, also from Anatomy of a Fall. And I will say, using the dog as such an important narrative feature, I am so happy for Snoop's win here. Oh my god. So I saw the pictures of Snoop winning the Palm Dog, and... This dog is so cute. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I'm excited. I was already excited to see Anatomy of a Fall. Justine Trier is only the third woman in history to win the Palme d'Or after Jane Campion and Julia Ducourneau recently. So, yeah, I can't wait to see this. Very excited. And just a little note, um, you might have seen things about Sandra Huller and how great her performance was in Anatomy of a Fall. Because this won the Palme d'Or, she couldn't win Best Actress. So if you're curious about that, they do have rules, the jury does, for how many awards certain films can win if they're in competition. But looking at these, I know we're going to get into your top five in a little bit from the festival. How do you feel about the winners? I am so happy with these winners. I tried to see Fallen Leaves at the last minute and didn't get in, but I had a feeling that maybe this was going to show up. So I'm glad it did. And then also with the top two, I'll also get to being in my top five. And I just can't speak highly enough about them. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, I can't wait to hear your top five in a little bit. Let's just talk about a few things that you didn't see that people are talking about. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We will chat about this movie more on our summer release roundup. But this was a flop for Cannes. It got really poor reviews. And I feel like it was a big mistake to bring it to this audience. This just didn't feel right for a movie like this. I think they thought it was going to be Top Gun Maverick. And it just was not. And now, unfortunately... Because of the poor reception to it, I wonder how it's going to do later on the summer, heading in with poor reviews and less than stellar word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Can also had Elvis last year, and I feel like they want this big summer blockbuster that's going to like light up audiences and get people excited to go back to the movies. And I heard like mixed reviews too, and that wasn't just like the positive press that they put out before a movie like yeah it was still a little mix of like james mangold doing a good job taking the baton from spielberg but i re- i wasn't really a fan of the last one anyway so i wasn't expecting much yeah and there's a twitter clip going around of like you know this is why movies are going under blah 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 i think it'll do fine there is i'm assuming a big budget attached to it and Also, it being Harrison Ford's last movie in the series, like, I think it'll be fine. But then, like, it was cool walking down the Chris set, like, there was a huge, huge ad in front of a hotel. Like, Mm. 
small movie theater screen sized ad of his face for this movie. And I'm like, yeah, they really did go all out Uh. for Harrison Ford. And he got an honorable Palme d'Or. So I don't know. I think there's potential for it still. But it wasn't even in competition anyway. It was just a premiere. So that is what it is. The next movie, however, also out of competition, which we can talk about how that factors into things, but Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, incredible reception, maybe some like, you know, not his best, but like overwhelming success and adaptation of the story of this novel of this true story. And then the trailer was released and like everybody went wild. What are your thoughts? Because... Obviously, like, there were people waiting in line since, like, 4 a.m., but I think the trailer hyped everybody up, and, Mm -hmm. like, I'm so excited to see this. There was only one screening, and I wasn't going to kill myself to go either, so I cannot wait for this to come out in October. I cannot wait to see this movie. I really hope we get it at New York Film Festival. I think, you know, any time it's possible that a movie could be Martin Scorsese's last New York Film Festival will probably want it, I can imagine. So I really hope that we get it there, even with an October release. I am so excited for this movie. I think the the hype around Lily Gladstone is very exciting. She's an actress I've, I've quite liked for a while. I think she's phenomenal in Certain Women, the Kelly Reichardt movie that I love. But mm-hmm. knowing that, they, that Scorsese changed quite a bit from the book and he took the Osage people and their feedback very seriously to rewrite the script. I love, love, love Silence and The Irishman. Those are two of my favorite movies of his. And if it is this sort of slow, meditative film that's all about greed and violence and destruction, that trailer just really increased my excitement tenfold. And I didn't really even think that was possible. So yeah, we will do a full deep dive into the mm-hmm. movie when it comes out and into Scorsese's career. But for now, I feel very lucky that we have a movie coming out from him this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did not expect the slow-mo in the trailer. That's what got me. And I was like, oh, this is going to be unexpected, amazing and beautiful and dark and just all encompassing. And I think Scorsese is the man to do that. He's also always wanted to make a Western. So the idea that this is inspired by Westerns is thrilling to me. The other big thing that premiered her was Pedro Almodovar's short Strange Way of Life, starring Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal, Manu Rios. And this does qualify for the live action short at the Oscars. And it was acquired by Sony Pictures Classics and Mubi. So we could see this later on in the year. And I am excited I didn't get to see this either. But like a flaming hot cast. And he said this was like his interpretation of Brokeback Mountain. So I am also very excited to see this. Anytime Almodovar makes anything, I'm excited. But also I loved his short film, The Human Voice with Tilda Swinton a few years ago. He always uses these very vibrant colors, of course, his signature. So yeah, I can't wait to see this one. Before we get into your top five movies that you saw, what were some that maybe didn't connect with you or that flopped? Maybe not as much as The Sun or Blonde when you went to Venice last year, but what were some movies that just didn't work for you? So I guess starting out with just flops in general, 
ones I didn't see that are also up on Rotten Tomatoes, Black Flies. It's this movie with Sean Penn, Ty Sheridan, Catherine Waterston. They're paramedics, and it's really dark. It's from the director, Jean-Stéphane Sauver, who made A Prayer Before Dawn, which was this like really gritty prison drama. It took place in a real Thai prison. That was great, but I also, like again, went into this festival trying to see like new movies and not American ones that I thought might get released. This did not do well. Lots of like grim and horrific violence. Not great. The other one, sadly to say, is the Robert Rodriguez, Ben Affleck film Hypnotic that also premiered out of competition. I think it's like out now already in theaters here. It's out here. I have not seen it yet, but I've heard only negative things about it so far. I will definitely watch it, though, just Mm -hmm. because of my commitment to Ben Affleck and his movies. But I'm not expecting much. Yeah. I like the trailer, and I really wanted to see this. But alas. Oh, even Firebrand is not doing well. With Jude Law and Alicia Vikander, this is the movie of Henry VIII and his final wife, Catherine Parr. You know I was not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole, so... This is a me movie. Very I would much say. so. I'm not a I'm not a Vikander girl, but I will say I'm very curious about this movie just because of the period. I love that time in English history. So I will definitely see it when it comes out or when it goes to a festival that I'm attending. Mm-hmm. The story around this that I heard though was Jude Law's little stunt that he pulled, I'll call it. It's a little moment of method acting. I could honestly, I need I need Faye Dunaway's take on this about the perfume. Did you hear about this? I saw the headline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So because in that time, historians will talk about how horribly everything smelled. He had a perfume made that smelled like sweat, like excrement, all sorts of nasty stuff. And he would wear that. And I'm telling you. If I were on a set and an actor was trying to do something like that, I think I would quit. I really don't think I would I would be around for very long. I mean, same. I feel like the other actors would have to be so committed to acting to be able to work beyond that smell. Like, I would be near gagging at every moment if I was next I to know. him. Like, Alicia, I, have, I don't know. Maybe that's how you get a strong emotive performance out of her, though. <laughs> that's kind of like some... Kubrickian stunt yeah, that is just awful. It's dark. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so, some other flops that I did see. My worst reviewed film, which is actually doing okay on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, did we see the same movie? Uh-oh. It's called The Sweet East. I had somewhat high hopes for this because it's directed by Sean Prince Williams, who is the DP of Good Time. One of my all-time favorites. And the aesthetic is fine. That's not the problem I had with this film. It's made of these vignettes, and I can't reiterate enough like how much I loved going into these movies blind, not knowing a single thing, and just being shocked by what I was seeing, good or bad. And here, they're on a school trip to D.C., and they sneak out of their room. (laughs) I know. Well, it's like (laughs) truly like eighth grade trip to like memories. They sneak out, they go to this bar, and then there's an active shooter in the bar because he's accusing the bar owner of pedophilia and having like this pedophilia ring 
underneath the bar. And so she escapes through this door to the basement. Very weird. And then it's like the next section, completely different. I just, I felt like nothing was tied together. And there Mm -hmm. probably was thematically because it's tied to the South and all of these religious cults or different factions and how they function. Like Jeremy O'Harris and Ayo Edabiri come in at one part and they're like directing this movie and they find the lead, Talia Ryder, and she becomes this actress and that leads to another big scene where a lot more violence and then in the end, there's a lot happening and it just, it took me out. A character like repeatedly says the R word throughout the film and I'm like, why do we need this? I heard that the politics of the movie were quite odd and didn't really do anything for the film itself. I didn't get what it was trying to say. Yeah. Like it wasn't satirical. It wasn't it wasn't looking down on them. I mean, it kind of was, but like it didn't all come together. And so that was my biggest flop. How was my tall man, Jacob Elordi? <laughs> Literally the only reason to go see this movie. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> But also wait till it comes on streaming and I will tell you the four minutes that he's in so you can fast forward and you don't have to go to the theater. (laughs) Okay, that sounds great. I will I will wait to receive a screener or for it to be on streaming. (laughs) Because his accent, woo ee, I mean, that kind of woke me up. What is his accent? You have to find out. Oh wow, okay. Now I have to see this movie that you leave one star in mystery. All right. Um, some other big flops. I did not like Michelle Gondry's new film, The Book of Solutions. I kind of had some high hopes from Eternal Sunshine, but I also rewatched that recently and I was like, do I like this movie? And this one just was also nonsensical. The other big one, it's called Club Zero. It's directed by Jessica Hausner and it's basically a follow up to Triangle of Sadness. There are some god-awful scenes. I mean, there's vomit, yes, but it, like, takes it to a next extreme compared to Triangle. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to imagine Ruben Usland appreciating some of these very subtle movies that I've seen positive reviews of, so. I'm hoping Brie can talk some sense into him. Oh, yeah. But this one, like, it started out at three and a half, and it had some really interesting ideas, was funny, Everyone was kind of enjoying it and then just like progressively went down from there. It's a satirical take on a cult and deals with eating disorders and behavioral issues. And there is a warning before the film is the only one I saw a festival. It doesn't quite even that prepare you for the scene. If you've seen reviews or anything on Letterboxd and like they mention the scene. Okay. I haven't read anything really about this one. So it feels like one that I, based on the way you're describing it, that I would not enjoy, but I will, we'll see. Part of this is like, yes, I feel a certain way, but I'm curious, like if any of these or when these come out, like how you feel about them. Yeah. I'm curious with some of the ones that I know you're going to get into a bit later, if you think I will like them or like, Mm -hmm. like them more than you or less. Um, I did want to ask you before we get into that section, you saw Asteroid City By the time this episode airs, I'll have already seen it, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious because I think you like Wes Anderson more than I do. I think you might like the movie more than I did, actually. Kind of interesting, like thinking about that. 
Um, it is a more pensive film than we've gotten from him in a while. And I think you'll enjoy that. The cast is great. Again, I think they're like splitting the time too much amongst everybody, which kind of hurts mm-hmm. them. Like it's a Scarlet Jason movie and everyone else is there to service them in a way. The aesthetic doesn't feel super overpowering, but I still think there could have been more character development and like heart pulling me into this film that I didn't really get. Yeah, I think it's good that you're staying a bit vague on it since we'll talk about it more when we do our Mm -hmm. episode on Asteroid City and on Wes Anderson. But yeah, I'm excited to see it and to see what I think of it because I have been, there are some of his movies that I really adore, only a few that I really don't like. But I'm excited. I like the the look of it so far, but we'll see. I need to know if you agree that it has potential for best original song. Oh my god! Okay, it's kind of like <laughs> is in a this fu- like it's an apartment for way. sale situation? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll mention some like that were mid for me from the fest later on when we talk about some Oscar potential. It's very brief, but let's talk about my favorites. Because some of these, my God, I cannot wait to see them again. I can't wait for you to see them. Just blew me away. I think it was like day three into day four. I saw Zone of Interest and then May, December. And then another movie called Sleep late into the night. And then the next morning was Anatomy of a Fall, The Breaking Ice, Bread and Roses. And I was like, oh my God, these movies keep getting better and better. And I like can't process because there's no time in between movies but getting into my top five my number five is the zone of interest uh i can't wait to see this movie i mean if you can be excited about a holocaust film (laughs) i guess but i'm eager to see it this is gonna blow you away i think you may like this more than i did that's so exciting it's very critical and analytical but oh my god his direction and there was This thing going around Twitter, this prompt of like, when did you know like a movie that you love was going to pull you in, like was going to slap the whole time. And for this movie, it's before the opening title card. (gasps) (laughs) So like Tar. (laughs) And it's a black screen. And I was like. I'm in. (laughs) Oh, okay. So this is so hard because we have an episode going right now. So I feel like we need to share information with the listeners. But this is a movie I don't want to know that much about because... So to preface it by saying I have read the Martin Amos novel, The Zone of Interest. Mm -hmm. But from what I've heard, just loosely, because I haven't read any reviews yet, I've only seen blurbs i'm staying away from doing deep dives Mm -hmm. on it i've heard it's very different from the book because in the book there's a love triangle and it's it's very much about that and i've heard that the movie is not it's a very loose adaptation of the Mm -hmm. book so i know the basics of the world and i can imagine why it would be a tough watch but yeah i don't know how glazer does anything that he does in it yet or the choices that he makes so i'm very much trying to go into this one as blindly as possible. Mm-hmm. I will say if you get, if anybody gets the film comment newsletter email from yeah. Film at Lincoln Center, 
they had one, they've had a few through can, but there's one that talks about zone of interest, May, December and anatomy of a fall. It's written by Beatrice Loiza, incredibly written and a great summary. And it doesn't give anything away. Okay. So I really recommend reading that, but it, does I think focus on I don't know the names from the book but it focuses on the Haas family which I think is one part of the book and what I love about the movie so this is directed by Jonathan Glazer it stars Christian Freidel and Sandra Huller who we'll talk about again both are phenomenal it's also just like such a harrowing movie like how could they not be based on what's happening Mm -hmm. but there's always this dichotomy between what you see and what you hear And that is the finesse of this movie. And a lot of reviews have been saying, like, you know, how can you capture what happened at Auschwitz-Birkenau? And it's like, you can't. Yeah. But this, I like, I'm getting chills. Um, This, I will say, should win Best Sound at the Oscars. Oh, okay. I can already start to imagine things. And I am getting scared. It will terrify you. You know, some of the dialogue that goes along with the sounds or in a way that doesn't connect it's one that definitely sticks with you for many many reasons but also how it ends and this was packed so this was at this not a laughing matter either what i'm about to say but it was at the cinem it was a packed theater and after the movie these two men in the front row started fighting full out punching and this girl in between them got caught and they're like what are you doing it was scary and i'm like after this movie no and like security no. had to come break them up. And like, I don't know what language it was in. I was like, I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I sat through oh. the credits. Not everybody sits through the credits either. Not like at New York. But this is one where like you have to sit with it. And yeah, cannot wait for you to see this. Oh, my God. I have chills thinking about it. <laughs> and just knowing like the how the family. So the family in the film lives right. Their home borders right. Auschwitz. Oh, I'm scared. And the thing with this is it's A24, but it's a UK, US, and Poland production and was filmed in Poland. So it's like, is this going to go international? Will this be recognized in other categories? Like, what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it can still technically be eligible for international features, even though Glazer is British. The film, is it in German? Mostly in German, yeah. German, yeah. So then I would I would guess that it's so then it would be eligible for international feature. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might be one of those weird situations like what was the film we had last year, Broker, where we weren't sure which country was going to technically get it, mm-hmm. um, if it was going to be a Korean or Japanese submission. This is going to be really hard for audiences, like a wide audience. Mm-mm. Okay. People are going to hate it. But I will like it. That's what oh. I like to hear. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And just the icing on the cake in a haunted way is the author of the novel, Martin Amos, died the same day of the premiere. I know. And like what like an ominous ghost of a thing to happen right before this movie comes out. I can't wait to see it. I'm very critical of movies about the Holocaust, as you know. So I hope that this handles it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am I'm looking forward to it. My... Next film, so also Thelma and Louise was in my top five, but I'm like not including it because it's not new, but that's here in spirit. Uh, My number four is How to Have Sex. Again, I love (laughs) it. Um, Directed by Molly Manning Walker and 
Its main star is Mia McKenna Bruce, who plays Tara. It's about these three best friends that go to Malia in Crete for a holiday. It's kind of like a spring break. They don't really specify, but they go and part of Tara's thing is she's a virgin. And it's just a nonstop party of a weekend. It has a great party soundtrack, just like bop after bop. So it's this like raucous event. And they meet this other group of people that includes men. And their thing is like, oh, Tara, are you going to hook up with one of them? And so it gets into this big conversation about consent and the harm of a hypermasculine, hypersexual society. But I love Molly's direction. I think she captures these very serious concepts with such an ease and understanding and somewhat removed from the character. So you can evaluate things on your own. Like, obviously, there's a perspective, but I love how this whole movie plays and it goes by really quickly. It has great pacing. The one movie you think of when you think of like a spring break crazy movie is Spring Breakers, obviously. But to me, this is like after sun meets Spring Breakers. Oh, wow. That's an interesting combination. Everything that I've heard about it is has been really positive and you also wrote a great review on it. So everyone go read that. We can link it in the description. My next one was another movie that I went into, didn't know anything about, and I honestly wasn't even going to go see it because Mm -hmm. of the timing. Like, I had a movie that started eight minutes after, and I was like, oh, God, maybe I just, like, should not go and take a breather and eat, relax, sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But I went in and just, like, bawled half the time, loved it so much. I can't believe we haven't brought up crying yet at all. (laughs) I wonder how many, how many have I cried in? Well, my top five, there have to be more. I would say at least seven to eight. So yeah, it's there. I'm just not mentioning it. This one's directed by Anthony Chen, and it's about this group of three young adults in South Korea. They discover themselves, their themes of like mental health. They're figuring out their insecurities, like finding peace with yourself and with others. There's such beautiful imagery, like The ice motif and water is so present all the time. There are a lot of these small intimate moments and just like sexual tension. You get cut with a knife that like is a part of it, but isn't. And it's just like not a way that I've ever seen that done before. To me, this is this year's Return to Soul. Another movie that I just like came upon, didn't expect anything from and was completely blown away. Totally engaged. So this one's great too. That is the best when that happens, when you see a movie and you just... Because at these festivals, so many times, I mean, no one has seen these movies yet. Or you know, you go into them not knowing anything, you're just seeing mm-hmm. them because you're there and the time works. Or the premise sounds interesting, you like the director, or something like that. And then it becomes one of your favorite movies of the year. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I love that. I'm excited to check this out whenever it, whenever it comes to the U.S., <laughs> This is one that I'm, like, scared may not, and it, like, might be put Mm -hmm. somewhere strange, like, on Mubi or some streaming service. Okay, Mubi is doing the Lord's work, though. They They have have a lot coming, and they are getting how to have sex. I mentioned Mubi with Strange Way of Life. So, yeah, they're doing great things. On the bus to the Sinaim, there was a guy in front of me working, and he, like, worked Mm -hmm. for Mubi. And I was like, can I have your job, please? Hire me, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so the next one, this may be in your top three to five of the year, too. This is May-December. I 
cannot cannot wait for this <laughs> i ended up seeing club zero on my last full day and this was playing in the adjacent theater and i was really tempted mm-hmm. And I was like, I should go see this again because I can't wait. And I, I just like can't get enough of this movie. Just what Todd Haynes is doing. These actors, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore definitely leads. Charles Melton is cuspy. He could probably go either way. Mm-hmm. But this story that's based on a true story, which I didn't know before. Like, is that a spoiler? I don't think so. Okay. Um it's hard because in what we discussed about it, we said like it's a story that is about a woman who's an actress, Nellie Portman, who she's preparing for a role and she's studying this woman who she's playing who was the subject of like a tabloid romance for being with a much younger man. I didn't realize, though, that it was specifically based on the story that it's based on, which is... The Mary Kay Letourneau story about the teacher who had an affair with a 13-year-old mm-hmm. student. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. can't wait for this. And like, I won't give any details away because it's like where they meet. There's some fabrication, I'm sure, to reality. And that's kind of how a few of my favorites, they all align is like how they deal with reality and fiction and muddle the two, which is a fascinating theme, especially here. But like where they meet the dialogue is just bonkers i would love to see it get a screenplay nom just because we get things like julianne moore saying i don't think we have enough hot dogs cut to like 40 hot dogs for this summer party just like insane and her and haynes have worked together so much but this is just not a netflix movie sadly i i don't really get the acquisition Like, when I think of Netflix, I think of Trial of the Chicago 7. When I think of this, I think of Focus or I don't know. I'm just worried about it going to a platform like Netflix where a majority of audiences won't be able to see this in theaters. I mean, unless Netflix changes something, like, it's just not going to, I don't know. Like you said, it feels like Focus. This could have a really good platform release that could come out early October in New York and LA and then Mm -hmm. expand and Todd Haynes movies the way he makes these melodramas with specific senses of humor really connect with certain types of audiences and those audiences might not have Netflix or find it on Netflix so much of that is the discovery from the theater itself so I am Mm -hmm. a bit bummed about Netflix yeah I agree because I do think it appeals to an older audience not exclusively so, but I think in just the way the story is captured. But I was just totally blown away by Natalie Portman. And she has this one long take that will absolutely be her Oscar scene. I think the beauty in this movie, though, like, I don't know how this got made in 2023. Like, it feels like a 90s, early 2000s movie almost. Like an artsy film from then. But Haynes also puts like such a spin on it that it does fit in the now. Gaze will also go wild for this movie. Like midnight screenings, do a double feature of like Mommy Dearest and this. Like it's going to be crazy. Oh, if it's anything like Mommy Dearest, if it has like those kind of campy pieces. Oh, my God. It's not that campy, but it is in a totally different way. (laughs) 
Oh, I love it. When when this comes out and we talk about it, I will be mentioning RuPaul Drag Race Season 1 filter yet again. So get ready. So my favorite film, my number one, is Anatomy of a Fall. This is a courtroom drama described as a Hitchcockian procedural thriller. And my God, I ate this up every single minute of the two and a half hour runtime. I like couldn't consume it fast enough. I was like buzzing with adrenaline the entire time. Oh my gosh. Like the way it's directed and shot, but also in the acting. Like this is career defining work for Sandra. I need a lot of time for this and we don't have that, but it has maybe the needle drop of the year. And it's just, it's so campy and I don't want to reveal what it is because it happens very early on, but Mm -hmm. it's, it makes you laugh. Also a play on reality and fiction. Her and her husband are authors that do other things, but she basically writes versions of reality as novels. Part of this trial is in like, are you writing your life? Because in the past, female characters have have killed their partners or men. And the whole thing about this movie is the film opens on her, their son, and the husband is upstairs working on music and the son goes for a walk and he comes back to find his father dead outside. And the son is blind, which adds a very interesting element to this. Mm -hmm. Just later on in the movie and what he does to try to figure out if you know what's happening if who did what or what happened oh my god it's the way it shifts perspectives I really love but also in how like Sandra's character is so evasive and calculated you can like see every moment her thinking but being so effortless too which adds into how this movie uses language like the first half is in English And then it transitions into French for a reason. But then she kind of manipulates that. And because there were so many international films, I haven't even mentioned this, most screenings, and they specify if if it says like no English subtitles, obviously, I I think it's only French for those. Mm -hmm. But for most screenings, it's French subtitles on the screen. And below there's a bar kind of like how it was in Venice. I don't know if we mentioned that then. There's English. So in mm-hmm. some of the theaters, if someone's really tall in front of you, you have to like keep moving and it's awful. But <laughs> so that's how the subtitles worked. But then also like the camera work. Oh, my God. Like how it shows what's happening. Like it stays in present day. There are only a select few, if maybe only one flashback, which is important to the story. And it starts to have this like succession style camera work. Where it starts zooming in when people say something interesting. And that just like added my interest with this movie. I will absolutely go see this again. This is one where it's like, oh, you could probably watch this at home. But it's like on a movie screen in a theater is just incredible to experience. No, I've only heard positive things about this. I'm excited that Neon is Mm -hmm. distributing it. So um, they've been doing, I think, great work with films out of Cannes all of the recent Palme d'Or winners. So like Triangle of Sadness, um, Titan. Parasite was the big. Parasite, yeah. yeah. So I think they do a really, really good job with these titles. And that means it'll get theatrical distribution. So I sure hope so. And the sooner the better. 
I'm sure it'll have, if it's successful here, it'll have a little festival run. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I can't wait to see that. Well, it's a great, it's a great list. Yeah. And I didn't expect anything. And to come out with five, let alone one favorite movie was like way more than I could have expected. So I'm very happy with how things turned out. A few other things on Oscar potential. Again, keeping it brief. There were some documentaries that I really liked. Bread and Roses is the Jennifer Lawrence produced film about the Taliban taking over Kabul and Afghanistan. And it focuses on different women and them protesting the Taliban's reign. They, again, funny only because I'm a dentist, uh, focus on a dentist. And they like, you see an extraction in the movie. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) like this is my life (laughs) yes but very like a very important film i really recommend seeing that another one was four daughters directed by kouther ben hania who directed the man who sold his skin from a couple years ago Mm -hmm. an international feature i guess this could be international or documentary but it is just such a fascinating concept of this family this mother has four daughters and the two elder daughters have disappeared. So Cowther came in, brought in two actresses to act in their place. And they're like recounting experiences and things from when they were still at home. And they also have an actress who subs out for the mom when things get too intense for her. So it's like, again, this play of reality and memory and what could have been and like how the other sisters remember them and their lives. Yeah. Very, a very sharp ending to this as well. Youth Spring is a documentary by Wong Bing. This is unlikely. It's three and a half hours. It's fascinating. It's about Chinese workers in workshops, but I kind of found this fascinating. It's the first in a trilogy that will follow the same young characters and it shows their camaraderie family issues one of the girls wants to have an abortion and they have to work with the boss of the workshop to figure out time off and whatnot just these very real conversations and experiences and how these kids have to grow up they have to mature way too fast i mean we're talking 16 to 34 year olds that are shown and it's yeah it's it's tough and international we kind of mentioned zone of interest Anatomy of a Fall, potentially, and then Monster, the new Corita film, which I also liked. I need to see again. I feel like it's very analytical, but you mentioned Broker, and I think it has that same potential for at least a release or to be considering it throughout the year. And then one more movie to wrap up. I saw The New Boy, which features Cate Blanchett. This was acquired Mm -hmm. by Roadshow Films and has a premiere in Australia because it was filmed there. She is going back to her native tongue, which was great to see and um, has a release there in July. So potentially afterwards here, we will see. Great. So this might be a very hard question. We'll see. But if you could give any movie you saw at Cannes one Oscar, what would it be? I think I would have to go Best Sound for Zone of Interest. Next up would be actress for, I really want to tie, but I would edge out Natalie Portman over Sandra Uhler. Just Mm -hmm. astonishing work. Well, I'm so glad that you enjoyed your time in Cannes. It really is just the best. Mm -hmm. 
it's exhausting, but it's exhilarating, and it's the French Riviera, like, an overwhelming but positive experience, and I very much recommend it to anybody who can. Oh. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm tired. <laughs> okay, yeah. Are you still, you're still jet lagged. So, next time on Oscar Wilde, so last month we did May Dunaway, which was great. This month, we will be doing Jane June, where we'll talk about They Shoot Horses, Don't They? and Coming Home. So two of her Oscar movies. We discussed Clute on our 1971 Oscar Rewind. I love Jane Fonda. I can't wait for this. Yeah, I think she's a great actress to follow up after Faye. So I'm excited to get into some of her films. And then later in the month, we'll be talking about Asteroid City. And we'll get into cancer season eventually and talk about some of those directors <laughs> so lots of fun planned for june i can't wait but thank you all for listening letting me ramble you especially <laughs> for an hour plus oh, no, I love and it. if you like our show feel free to rate review and follow you can find us on instagram and twitter at oscar wilde pod and on patreon.com slash oscar wilde for Bonus content, like the episode we just did on Faye Dunaway, on Mommy Dearest and Supergirl, plus previous series on Benefer and Viola Davis and horror films. So definitely go check those out. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.